Welcome to Asia Perspectives from the Economist Intelligence Unit. I'm Jason Winsunis, Senior Editor for Thought Leadership in Hong Kong, and our topic today is related to a series of research articles publishing on the Asia Perspectives website concerning the evolution of digital technology for business in Asia. Those articles and this edition of the podcast were all commissioned by IBM, but as always, our research is independent and editorial control remains with EIU. The remote work that many of us have been experiencing over the past year was the inspiration for the research. We wanted to understand better what kind of impacts the situation was having on IT departments and if there were any gaps in the digital point of views between, say, chief technology officers and other non-technical C-suites. And what we found was a lot of alignment, especially on cybersecurity issues. In the articles, we explore remote work and data security more in depth, but here today we're going to talk about the talent or skills aspect of the issue. A report from Frost and Sullivan, which is a market and research consulting firm, predicts a growing gap between the availability of cybersecurity professionals and unfulfilled positions. By 2022, they say there could be a labor shortage of close to 2 million qualified workers in cybersecurity. So hiring talent and then becomes both a security and a strategic business issue. Of course, organizations are pursuing numerous ways to close that talent gap and to learn more about how they might be doing that in Asia. I've asked two experts to join me to give us a boots on the ground point of view. I wanted to focus on the finance industry because that seems about as mission critical as you can get with IT systems. Shireen Hamid is Director General of the Asian Development Bank's Information Technology Department. Based in Manila, she is responsible for ADB's digital strategies and transformation and its IT infrastructure and talent pool across more than 30 countries. Welcome to the podcast, Shireen. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure to be here. And joining us from New Zealand is Andrew Henderson, who is the Chief Information Officer for Westpac Banking Corporation in the country. He is responsible for key technology functions, including engineering, architecture, and IT risk. Welcome, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Hello, Shireen. Thank you both very much for being here. Uh, Now that 2020 is behind us, and hopefully you've had a, a holiday break that lets you reflect a bit on the year and what to do next, what were the biggest changes that you had to make to accommodate everything that was going on in 2020? Was digital transformation and remote work as much of a game changer for you as the media headlines all through the year had been suggesting? Shireen, why don't you start us off? Sure, Jason. The biggest change for the Asian Development Bank was the sudden transition to remote work brought on obviously by the pandemic. It has put the importance of reliable IT infrastructure and services in the spotlight for a regional development bank based in a developing country like the Philippines and with 45 field offices across the region, the challenge to effectively sustain operations is even greater. We had to change our IT service delivery. ADB had an existing strategy for digital collaboration. The sudden lockdown in March presented unique challenges, including how we provision IT tools and equipment to all personnel, dealing with delays caused by global supply chain issues, travel restrictions, and community quarantines. Here in Philippines, we had significant home internet connectivity issues and challenges. And like you also pointed out, There's also a huge demand for collaboration and teleconferencing tools. What would have taken us close to six months to a year to actually roll out a new tool or technology as part of the Adoption and Change Management Program, we easily rolled out Teams and Zoom instantaneously. 
And this was a result of obviously a surge in training requests from personnel adapting to remote work. Sustaining improvised IT help desk operations straight from the service desk agent's home with less than ideal working conditions was a huge challenge because obviously our help desk operations had to support a globally dispersed workforce spanning different time zones. Configuring and securing access for corporate systems for personnel working remotely and protecting the bank from a global surge of cyber threat. And I think last year we saw at least a 20% increase in cyber threat, uh, especially targeting the financial institutions. So for us, we had to accelerate what we call from an IT perspective, people resiliency. We had put in place a resiliency program for our critical financial systems. In this particular instance, we had to make sure that we accelerate and operationalize our IT offshore hub to increase our workforce resiliency and ensure business continuity uh, support outside of Manila. So, you know, as a result of, of this, you know, in 2020, it had been a huge opportunity for the bank to accelerate the adoption of modern, flexible workplace practices. And we achieve what we call the Associated Digital Transformation Corporate Results targets that we set for 2024 earlier than expected. So we actually achieved and actually exceeded our corporate results target last year. Digital transformation was indeed a game changer. We had to lean on modern IT environment to meet COVID-19 challenges. We had to enhance our IT infrastructure and at the same time ensure that we had the workforce was uh, equipped to actually work remotely. And, and despite all of these challenges, I will share with you that the bank was able to deliver a higher commitment for 2020, half being COVID-19 response, because of, I would say, the IT reforms that we have instituted. So yeah, it has been definitely a huge change in 2020 in terms of how the bank had to operate. Uh, Andrea, I assume that it was a similar story for you, but you know, tell us a little bit about what what it meant for you for, in 2020. Yeah, they're um, very similar stories, so it was really interesting to hear that from Shireen. I guess for us in New Zealand, Westpac's um, actually the government's banker, so we pretty integral to the government's response to the pandemic in terms of support for vulnerable New Zealanders, and also just keeping the basic infrastructure of the country in terms of payments and things operating, but you know, our primary responsibility early on was just to get our customers and our staff into a safe location. So we quite quickly went into a high alert level, which meant you know we had to have staff working from home, and we had to have ensure that services were available for customers to interact with their financial sort of portfolios and things pretty reliably and obviously securely. So you know, our focus really went into those as as well. I think in terms of game-changing, we had most of the technology in place already, so we were quite fortunate there. Um, what we did see, though, is with the pandemic, it actually accelerated adoption of those by end users and by customers. So um, from a staff perspective, you know, we saw um, a lot more sophisticated use of the tools that were available and, and much higher productivity as those skills grew, which was fantastic. And generally, the confidence with the tools really improved. And so that meant the productivity, things we got done, and uh, Shireen sort of alluded to the fact that the pace of execution went up, and we, we experienced the same thing, which was which was excellent. So um, those, those capabilities continue to evolve. Um, I think some of our major partners learnt a lot in terms of scaling and the kind of features that um, are really useful for people working remotely. And then I think the last thing which has really came into... Um, 
view um, probably after the first sort of two months is actually the mental health and well-being of, of our teams and, and actually of customers lacking sort of the social contact with um, their colleagues and with others in the community. So on staff, we've really had a big focus on mental health and well-being, using the tools to connect, not just for work, but for social purposes. And we've seen all sorts of interesting things developed by the teams themselves, remote quiz competitions on Friday afternoons, for example. So I think it's been a big thing for our culture. It hasn't been technology dominated, but it's been technology enabled and it's, it's really helped our teams focus in on what's really important for customers um, and actually and actually learn how to work effectively remotely in, in quite a, a wide array of personal situations. So um, I think in the end, while we had the technology, it has been game-changing game in it and the way it's been able to enable us to respond to quite a fundamental shift in the way that we work and the way that customers are interacting with each other. So a lot of the research that we've done, just taking it as a whole, you know, suggests that CIOs are going to have to contend with a lot more integrating of data this year, you know, adding artificial intelligence into the picture, which is, again, data intensive. I assume you know, that means protecting that data and then adding more security into systems. Shireen, does that align with your experience? Certainly. Cybersecurity has always been front and center to the bank's resiliency program. And we've put a comprehensive program in 2016 ensuring that we could simplify access management, we could uh, strengthen our cybersecurity monitoring and detection capabilities, and simply from an operational perspective, enhance our cybersecurity hygiene of our systems throughout operations. But one of the things that we also did from a cybersecurity perspective was, was it's a continuous journey. I don't think, well, you know, arguably we can sit with our laurels we have put in place in 2018 another strategy called the Digital Agenda 2030. And I think the bank has certainly benefited from these two strategies, at least in the last five years that we've put in place. One of the areas is definitely on putting in place tools such as advanced threat detection capabilities, you know, including, you know, the ability to remote monitor brands and uh, cloud-based web application. We had accelerated cloud adoption for the bank in 2016. In this process, what we've done is to make sure that we're not also uh, exposed on our cloud-based platforms. We also put in place a lot of new methodologies. We have put in place simulation tools such as Bridge and attack simulation tools and with embedded DevOps in the DevOps security tools. We've also automated our IT asset discovery and um, ensured secure coding practices across our internal and outsourced developers. Now, all of this in terms of refining our IT processes, putting the tools, putting the services in place has been an added advantage to the bank. I think it prepared the bank to actually work remotely. In addition to that, we've actually put in place governance because governance is the other area that was critical for us to actually operate remotely. This includes cloud risk assessments, security guardrails, security license to operate, and putting in place dashboards for us to actually monitor and report on you know, the cybersecurity threats, incidents, and establish metrics remotely. 2020, as I said, we, we saw a, a dramatic increase in cyber threat, at least uh, malware and phishing that grew, grew by 20% than our regular year-on-year -year observation. 
the other area that we also saw as an area that we need to actually uh, pay close attention to is our third party risk. And that was something that we've seen um, increasingly uh, visible, uh, especially when we look at SolarWind, Software AG, Finastra and Wipro. These are some of the managed services that we've used. And we have to ensure that we've, we've put controls in place to be able to um, reduce our exposure from the bank. So that's on the cybersecurity piece. So certainly lots and lots of effort to ensure, and I don't think this is going to be something that we're going to contend with. We're certainly going to accelerate more tools, technologies, processes, and at the same time, fine-tune our third-party operational risk. Andrew, maybe you can also comment on what you see as the driver uh, of, of data growth. You know, this is a big trend in business in general. And, and then what does that say about the, the skills then that you'll need in your workforce, particularly in IT functions, but maybe also beyond it? 2020s just reinforces for me. I think it, it's, it's something that's been developing in the, the last decade, I think, is the value that you can drive out of data for a lot of different reasons. But I think now data is the fuel for modern business and it gives you the what we've noticed through pandemic. It really through the pandemic, it gives us a real insight into what is of value to customers and how we can help create value for them. And so really the focus for us is is about liberating the data that we have, um, improving the quality of it and making it available to, into the customer experiences that can benefit from that kind of insight. And so it is critical. So the driver of um, enhancing our data strategies and making that available really is the customer and what the customer needs to be getting great outcomes in their interactions with us as a financial institution. Um, and so that really plays into a range of different things. So we see in IT and the ability to operate effectively and securely, being able to data drive that and to leverage data through automation gives us a much faster response time to detect and respond to incidents, both operationally and from a cyber perspective. Gives us better, into the, better intel on the kind of resiliency challenges that you can run into as things start scaling up rapidly. And I think, you know, with the response that we've needed to have with um, the pandemic, we've started to ask different questions and that, whether it's from the regulator or from, you know, business um, colleagues, kind of call from customers directly to be frank, you know, they have to be answered in a way that is backed up by um, strong data. And so it means that the, the kind of interaction with data has been very, very flexible, quite agile. So we've need, needed to be able to liberate that in a way that's just easily um, accessed by the business and by the operational team. So it's, it's fuel for us. Um, and so we have a big focus on ensuring the quality, the availability, reliability and security of that is very, very, very important. And of course, the regulatory environment around data privacy and those sort of things we'll talk about later are, are actually critical. And that's just a you know, table stakes um, from a customer perspective. So I think the last thing I'd say, though, is in terms of um, sort of skills and mindset around this is that I think the, ne- the next generation or even today, the new generation of entrepreneurs are the ones that know how to that really understand how to generate value from the data that we have. And I'd say quite a lot of our data would be stranded and really underutilized. And I think this is a, a significant skill that, you know, particularly long, mature, sort of long running businesses need to develop faster is our ability to do things with data in service of customer outcomes. So, you know, I only see this one growing and the capabilities available to us um, getting more and more sophisticated 
whether it's AI or the tools for wrangling data and et cetera, et cetera, all those things are maturing quite quickly, making it easier and easier for you know, technologists, designers and, and business and entrepreneurs to generate value from data. Did you know that the average cost of a data breach globally is $3.86 million, mostly due to compromised credentials, misconfigurations in your cloud, and software integration issues? It's now time to simplify complexities in cybersecurity systems. Introducing an open, connected security platform for your business to thrive in the space of cyber uncertainty. IBM Cloud Pack for Security. Learn more at ibm.com security. So let's go a little bit deeper onto the skills aspect. You know, how does cybersecurity play into the skills pictures? Like what kind of experience or training do you think, you know, best equips staff to get ahead of risks in 2021? And maybe talk a little bit more about what those risks might be. Uh, Shireen, if you want to take us maybe through some of your view across Asia, since you look at more than one market. Just in cybersecurity skills. What we see is a lot more automation and the need for DevOps and agile way of delivering and protecting the bank uh, on the cybersecurity front. So for us, we have been focusing on a couple of things. One is, do we actually, can we actually hire cybersecurity skills uh, in Asia and Pacific? And typically that's a very hard skill to actually find within the region. So for us, it's about partnering and partnering with service providers, uh, vendors and tools to actually ensure that we have the right mechanisms in place to actually support the bank to do this collectively. So for us, it's, it's, a, it's a matrix approach. It's the intensity of uh, understanding what are the available capacity internally, uh, what are the tools that we can actually leverage on, and how do we actually create a layered mechanism for the bank to actually monitor and operate securely. Now, just recently, we did a, a global study, and we asked about 400 director level and above executives, maybe 75% of them are in the C-suite, you know, about data privacy issues. And we found that 90% of them believe that data privacy is a core business requirement in their country, you know, meaning that business results, at least in part, depend on security. It's not just a, a back office issue. So if that's the case, how does that mindset then reflect in an IT strategy, like in terms of security or in skill sets in particular? How, how do companies ensure that you know, that core requirement is being met? Uh, Andrew, can you tell us about you know, something? Is that something that the CEO puts pressure on you to do? So it's, there's a couple of things here. It's not, not only is it a regulatory priority for organizations, particularly um, financial services, but it's also just the right thing to be doing for customers. And so it's not just a technology uh, challenge, it's actually an organizational challenge and priority here. So so this is reflected really in the mindset that we have, So, which is to take care of customers. And so data privacy is just one element of that commitment. So this sort of surfaces up in many different areas, whether it's in design of the experiences that we bring to market and, and making sure that a, you know, we're collecting and leveraging the data in a way that customers are comfortable and giving consent on. And then from a technology perspective, that we're then able to manage it and secure it, um, retrieve it and destroy it as that commitment sets out. And so all of that's really to enable great customer outcomes. So from a skills perspective, 
what we try to do is we make sure that skills, you know, we're, we're kind of continuing to invest in the right skills to design and build the right applications, but also to secure them and having secure by design principles embedded into everything that we do, all the way from the architecture through to operations is important. But it's not only that, as we have, we spend quite a lot of time as leaders actually role modeling the mindset and, and ensuring it stays top of mind for everybody. Um, and that's really to do a couple of things. One is it has to be a cultural shift to make it sustainable. So it's just got to be the way we do things. And that ensures sustainability. But it's really important if the CEO the CIO and all the leaders in the company are just reinforcing that on a daily basis. It just becomes the norm. And I think lastly, the, the job's never done. So um, because the environment's very dynamic, um, we saw last year that things can change very quickly. We have to remain agile um, and we have to keep improving. So this is also a key part of the kind of skills we're building into um, our leaders through agile leadership programs, but also you know, the technical skills and capability that have to keep evolving to keep on top of this and it's really you know things have got to be customer customer driven we've got to secure things by design so avoid as we might have done in the past bolting things on the side so we need to integrate things from the get-go and i think with the speed of change now we've got a unique opportunity with the technology and that thinking available to us to do that well and to do it so that's um, sustainable and, and obviously performs going forward so really critical for us Shireen, is cybersecurity something that's become a competitive advantage? Do you agree with that idea? And and how can companies internalize it if if so, you know, beyond simply buying more security tools? Cybersecurity is is core to any organization, including, you know, the banking industry. The Asian Development Bank is slightly different than a typical what I would say commercial bank. We are a development bank, so we provide loans, technical assistance, grants, and equity investment to promote social and economic development in Asia and Pacific. So, you know, it's slightly different than, you know, a, a, target, a typical bank that targets consumers. So for us in the semi-government world, you know, it's core from a reputational perspective for us to actually secure the bank. But we're, we're slightly in a different position at this point in time. So I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more from Andrew. So I'm not sure I'd call it a competitive advantage. I mean, there's some things we just have to do very well. And it might be surprising to listeners to know that it's really the basics you've got to do very well. So you're securing your networks, your applications, ensuring your people are skilled. Um, operationally, you stay on top of your vulnerabilities and you make sure you're patching in things strong and current. And then you're, that you're really exercising your detect and respond capabilities. And you know, as Shireen said earlier, you know, running simulations and just keeping really fit on that stuff is very, very important. Those things are things that are materially critical in managing most risks, but it's not something that you can be sort of stop-start on. The actors are getting more sophisticated all the time. Um, we have nation-states, we have well-funded semi-corporates that are very, very active, and we've seen that, um, unfortunately, when times get tough, that sort of activity increases. And we're seeing the same thing in New Zealand with a sort of 15, 20% increase in malware and phishing activity. And so you've got to be on your game all the time. And so if it's a competitive advantage to have highly skilled, really motivated cyber security people, then yes, maybe. But I think that most companies are aiming for that. And it's a combination of strong partners, you know, onboarding really key talent, having a sustainable development pipeline for your own staff to keep up 
up to um, up to base with the basics. And you know, I think making sure that you're you're simplifying your environments, automating as much as you can, and driving things through data um, to take human factors out of it um, is all crucial, just in strength and depth of your response to the challenge. But it's just not going not going away anytime soon. I don't think. So that point you just made about automation, you know, that's definitely an area that comes up in a lot of the research that we do, whether that's machine learning or, or different versions of AI. You know, is that a theme on your, your work list for this year? And, and what tasks are you actually looking to automate? How does that change the skill sets that you need from people as well? Yeah, automation is really important. And I think it's um, it's been that way for a few years as we've sort of um, embarked in cloud, cloud's matured. And what cloud has taught us is a service-driven approach to providing capabilities to different consumers, whether it's engineering teams or into the business themselves. And it's usually done in a way that makes it really seamless and frictionless for people to utilize those services and adopt to do the jobs that they need done. Um, but behind that sits really sophisticated automation that that allows us to scale very quickly, that to maintain a consistent level of quality, and to through data and data insights secure those services and respond to proactively to operational incidents before they happen. That's where we need to get to, and you know the ability to design simple um, abstracted services drive consistency through automation and, and, and sort of limit the human interactions with those to keep them running is just a good business but really um, increases levels of quality and efficiency and allows you to actually um, focus on the things that really humans are good at which is really solving complex problems and working much closer to the customer. So yeah, it is a big focus. It's um, enabling that and to do that at scale training of people to enable those sort of outcomes is, is very important. And Shireen, how about for you? Is, is automation a big thing on your work list for this year? Actually, this is going to be one of our key themes in, in 2021. One of the programs that we've put in place is uh, actually last year is to actually start up automating our uh, infrastructure and put in place DevOps. So it, it's we see this as really, really important. And I agree with Andrew that, you know, cloud has certainly taught us to be frictionless and more sophisticated around the automation. So what we've done is to put in cloud learn from the cloud technologies and then apply that to our current infrastructure, how we can actually enable and modernize and consolidate our IT monitoring and anomaly detection systems and processes. That was one area that we actually looked at. So another area that we actually looked at is we were able to create a robotic uh, process automation to synthesize testers and ensure that the bank systems are online and accessible. We have put in a host of robots um, in various cities and we run, you know, a significant number of tests per day to make sure that, you know, we can actually identify proactively any issues on degradation on performance in any one of our uh, IT solutions and components, whether it's the database, whether it's a web server, whether it's a network, whether it's, you know, any parts of the infrastructure. And this has been amazing for us because now we're actually more proactive in terms of understanding 
we can't do this with humans. It's almost an impossible ask. So, uh, you know, automation is going to be at scale uh, this year. Another area is, uh, you know, again, learning from cloud capabilities is how do you actually automate laborious IT administration tasks? And, uh, you know, uh, whether it's patching the server provisioning and now we're, we're, we're just cloning and automating these processes. The other area that we're also looking at, so that's on the infrastructure, putting in place DevOps and driving that agility using uh, automation. The other piece that we're also looking at is actually our back office and our middle office of the bank. We're looking at implementing robotic process automation to support our knowledge workers, freeing them up from what we call, you know, production to knowledge workers and the current labor intensive work. So we're taking advantage of these advancements, especially in accounting and treasury in HR and other back office operations and automating this. So this is something that we are putting in place. We're actually trying to put in a process, the structure, and actually scale that across the bank this year. So for the last question that we're going to have time for, I want to zoom out to a higher level and ask about the the C-suites that you interact with. And I'm thinking about your bosses, uh, you know, the CEO or the corporate boards. How do they think about this intersection between talent and technology? Do you find that they are more apt to focus on tools or on the people, the skills that they need? Yeah, um, it's a great, it's a great question. I, I have to say here, it's less about the tools. So the transformation that we're that we're going through, it's really all about the people. Um, the technology continues to evolve, but you need to build a strong team, skilled team. And we are in a war on talent. And so t- talent wants to work on really meaningful outcomes, have an impact with their skills. And so being able to attract new talent with new skills to a team, but at the same time have development pathways in place to help your own teams um, learn new skills and, and then contribute to that meaningful work is really, really important. And so for us, the tools are part of the environment that we would provide. We need that environment to be effective so that talent can really express themselves and have that positive impact. We've still got significant challenges to work through, I think, this year. Um, but with those challenges come great opportunities to do some, I think, some of the best work that you can do in your career. And so what we're seeing now is really strong engagement with the marketplace around talent. We've got a strong support from the C-suite here to onboard that talent and get that talent into that environment that I talked about so they can do their best work. So you know, I think it's exciting times. I think the last thing I'd say with the pandemic is that um, we're very, very lucky here in New Zealand where um, we've got an environment that at this stage is, is very close to normal. And so um, I came home after 20 years away working around the world just in October 19, so just in time. Um, but what we're seeing is quite a bit of activity with um, New Zealanders looking to come home and bringing that international experience and, and skill and capability. And so um, as a company, we're very active in those dialogues. And of course, with the agendas that we have now in technology that we've talked about today, um, it's pretty exciting work for everybody. So no, I think um, full recognition that it's all... Um, What's important is other people in the team um, and making sure that that uh, team levels up at, the, at, a, at a good pace. So, yeah, very good, very important. Last year, the bank actually rolled out a culture transformation uh, exercise. The bank has a strategy 2030 that it had um, established. 
And so this is a combination of a, you know, making sure that the culture is fit for purpose uh, to meet the strategy 2030. And I think to dovetail that, obviously, to harness the unity experience last year towards the mission of the bank. Since the bank is focused, you know, primarily to drive development effectiveness in Asia and Pacific and eradicating poverty as much as we possibly can in the region, uh, what we've seen is the bank actually come coming together last year to actually support Asia and Pacific uh, against COVID-19 pandemic, you know, and so that's been a remarkable year. And I think what we want to do is uh, take those experiences and see whether we can actually codify that further in as part of our culture transformation exercise. Now, to complement that, we are, so that's, that's lead, led from the top, right, from, from, from executive management. At, at the same time, what we are doing from an IT perspective is to complement that. And here, what we're doing is we're recognizing to, that to actually accelerate the, the value and the impact of the bank using digital is to actually giving them the skill sets and the know-how in terms of how to actually leverage technology uh, to its fullest. So from the bank's perspective, what we're actually unveiling this year is the digital fitness program that focuses on building digital knowledge and culture rather than just simply building skills or a traditional training. So this year is going to be an exciting program that we're going to put in place. This is part of our digital transformation program that we've implemented. We put in a sandbox program uh, in mid-2019. And the idea behind that is to allow the bank to actually pilot in a safe, uh, secure area. And then the idea this year is to be able to scale some of these capabilities in technology. So last year, we actually implemented a number of what we call robotic process automations, bots, you know, cognitive search capabilities, uh, and allow their, our stakeholders to actually experiment on these capabilities. And now that they actually see the fruits of the labor driving more efficiency and effectiveness, especially the complexity of working remotely, you know, it's it's becoming, for us, it's how do we actually help the bank to actually mainstream some of these capabilities to actually uh, allow the bank to continue to be agile in, in its response. In, in our case, you know, unlike uh, New Zealand, we don't have that luxury. We've been on working remotely since March of last year. Only less than 5% of the banks, so we're still in stage two, are uh, reporting to work. So, you know, what, about 80 uh, staff compared to our 6,000 workforce at this point in time. And, you know, half of our, or close to half of our offices that are in, in our remote sites are still working remotely. So for us, you know, leveraging on technology is going to be certainly core and central to the bank, uh, making sure that from a cybersecurity perspective, we have the ability to actually equip the staff to actually recognize what is phishing, what is malware and protecting them from this phishing and malware uh, is going to be also something that we are going to ensure we continue um, extensively on these areas. So it's it's uh, it's really from the top in terms of the intersection of not only the technology. We've had two digital strategies that we've we are we've rolled out in five years, and we continue to obviously uh, expand on the technology front. But in terms of which area are we going to focus on, tools or skills, I think it's a combination of tools, people, and I must say it's also processes. So it's going to be an exciting year this year for us. Well, thank you. We're going to have to leave it there. We've used up our time, but I'm very glad you could join us today. Thank you, Shireen. Thank you very much, Jason. And thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Jason. 
And thank you as well to our listeners for spending the half hour with us. Today's conversation was commissioned by IBM. Please check the show notes for links to the other articles I mentioned at the top of this half hour. Or again, visit perspectives.eiu.com and search remote work or data security to learn more. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or any aspect of work from the Economist Intelligence Unit, you can email us at asiaperspectives at economist.com. Thank you again from the editorial team at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Please subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. 